Hello, listeners. Welcome to Three Cities Rambling. We are three great friends from different countries who met while we were all attending graduate school in beautiful Charm City, Baltimore. As that chapter of our lives ended and we moved once again to different cities to pursue the next thing in life, this is a podcast to document our journey, friendship, and most of all, sharing our chapters of adulting, challenges, and inspirations from our guests and us with you guys. Welcome, listeners, to our third episode. We hope you've been enjoying listening in on our conversation so far. If you haven't already, check out our introduction and Ikigai episodes. But this is a podcast where we hope to share more interesting topics of adulting struggles, career navigation, relocation to cities, cultures, and many more in our next episodes with you. And this is not a how-to podcast, but an open forum to share our experiences and to hear from others. So in today's episode, I'd like to hear from my two friends on a topic that is being hotly debated right now uh, in the midst of the pandemic, the future of education. So I wanted to start off by asking my two friends what their experience with education has been. We are each uniquely situated for this question because each of us had has had a, a majority of their schooling in a different country. So I spent the bulk of my education in the US, Kim Young in Korea, and Stephanie in Singapore. So I wanted to ask, what was schooling like in your country? And what does education mean to people in your country? Anyone yeah. want to start? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds very, really serious. Um, (laughs) Okay, I can start. Um, So I grew up in Singapore and I did most of my, you know, education in Singapore. Uh, It was very stressful, (laughs) uh, to say the least. But, you know, I think in terms of like the reputation um, of our education system, I think Singapore is pretty well known for its education system, um, especially in Asia. And I think it's uh, known to be one of the best. We do have a lot of kids from like all around the neighboring countries and and even Korea and China who come over to Singapore um, to attend our schools. So I think it's well known to be very rigorous and very challenging and it's um, mm-hmm. geared to help you excel academic academically I can't pronounce that word <laughs> today in the world um, so education is actually viewed um, very as something very important by the society the government and individuals are you know all very invested in our education and our parents are known to be like you know just like drive our kids uh, constantly like drive their kids to um get top grades and go to top schools like mm-hmm. totally Asian parenting style tiger moms tiger dads um but uh, in my personal opinion it can tend to be a little bit um too laser focused in terms of cultivating young minds to just pass exams and like I think in my personal experience in my younger years of learning um I really miss that pleasure of learning like learning became something that is not very pleasurable for me uh, maybe because I grew up a tiger mom <laughs> but you know I think I only learned how to um, really appreciate learning and understand what learning is all about when I was later on uh, much later on in life in like college years but before that every every milestone is just set to like pass this exam so that you can get to this uh, school or like get to the next level um things like that and also like i think in the it's not so much now but in in my time and my parents time was very much still geared to a uh, skewed towards mathematics and science um so like stem fields and stem knowledge is very much preferred uh back then and i guess also now uh, but kind of like 
there's some like, you know, divergence there. But um, these days too, there's actually more options and avenues for like arts, for like uh, to pursue sports. So like, you know, if you're talented in art, you can go to an art school. If you're talented in sports, you can go to a sports school. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think back then when uh, I was in school, uh, that wasn't the case. And everyone's just like, okay, you need to go to science stream. And if you like, a more arts inclined and go to like hum- to study humanities or literature or whatever um you're seen as like oh you didn't really <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's kind of uh you know the pros and cons of uh singapore kind of like a hot take i feel like singapore yeah. the podcast might hate me after this <laughs> <laughs> no but i'm curious like, what do you think it make what do you think makes like singapore so successful like i definitely know like singapore is one of the top countries always on like the standardized tests like oh, what do you wow. think do you think it's just like the culture that's like oh everyone's expected to do well so people kind yeah. of rise to the expectation or is there like some special secret sauce you think from Singapore <laughs> special <laughs> secret sauce? I think it's very it's almost like a formula I would say so like mm. to pass on exams everyone has this textbook like we have this Growing up, we had this textbook called the 10-year series. Basically, 10 years worth of exams for like each kind of exam that you're supposed to take. Um, oh you know, right? It's so <laughs> that sounds intimidating. It is. Yeah, it is. That's, that's why there's no, there's zero pleasure because you're just taught the different ways to tackle different questions. Mm-hmm. So like in terms of like maybe for mathematics, like, you know, this kind of questions, um, Pulse, um, you, when you see these type of questions, you have to answer in a certain way. You, stu- you do like step A to Z and then you get to mm. the final answer and you can ace that question, you know? So it's all about that. Um, it's very step like by step. Yeah. yeah, and so like, uh, it's not a big surprise to me if a lot of Singaporeans would tend to ace a lot of standardized tests because we probably have those textbooks and we'll probably go through <laughs> step A to Z and we know how to get to the bottom of each question. Um, but I think, like, really, uh, uh, the the short end of it would be that we might be less creative because we mm-hmm. probably lost the ability to actually problem solve uh, when it comes to like a different type of scenario that is not that does not exist in our ten year series. Um, mm-hmm. But that may be my like the generations like before me and maybe even my time. Like maybe um, the youth disease that Gen Z might have changed because I think that is something that our education system have come to realize and uh, something that uh, our government is proactively try to fix and cultivate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. And we're actually going to talk a little bit in a little bit about the future, like what you, what's like how things are changing or how you think we're yeah, going to be yeah. changing. So yeah, that's awesome. Cool, that's, cool. that's hopefully a good trend in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about you, Himyang? Any thoughts? Any similarities um, with Singapore? Yeah, very similar. Listening to what Stephanie just said about like tiger moms and standardized exams, that's what <laughs> exactly happens in Korea as well. And mm. I think the education in Korea is not much different from that of Singapore. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's very, also very focused on education and I think it's related to Korean history because mm. Korea experienced a rapid um, economic growth in the 1970s and 80s. And I think that's when people, I mean, our parents and grandparents' generation first realized that the more education they get, the higher they can climb up the social ladder and eventually mm-hmm. overcome their like poverty. So mm-hmm. uh, to answer Liz's first question, education has long been uh, regarded as the only way to be successful in <laughs> the Korean society and that's why people are so obsessed with mm. um, getting a good 
um, degree. Getting and, to good schools yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, it has problems as well. Like uh, pro- the problem is that the word has been changed and it's not <laughs> the same as 1970s and 80s anymore. And graduating from a prestigious university does not necessarily mean that that person is 100% verified or good at everything, but our old prejudice somehow makes this line that divides mm. us or polarizes mm. us. So to be like inside the line, students sacrifice your precious youth studies no. they will never <laughs> use in their lifetime and feel so lost when they finally pass the exam and go to the colleges because their own, one and only goal was to go into a good university. Right. Oh my God, so much similarity, Himi. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think of the, like growing up, your only goal, you don't even have time to have an ambition. Your only goal is like, I need to go to this school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I don't go to like a top like university, top I'm stuck. School, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, and, and there's been like cases in Singapore recently where young kids like jumped off the building because like the pressure is just too great. Oh, um, that happens a lot in Korea as well. Right, right, and that's right. what I'm worried yes. about. So I, I wonder, like you know, once you get your goal, let's say you do get into your top university or the, your dream school, like <laughs> then what? Like, You're do, often do, lost. Like those, yeah. Do people know, don't know what the next life? step is? <laughs> they don't even know what they want to do in real life when they graduate mm-hmm. from school at work and things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, but one mm-hmm. thing um, that is very similar that Himyeong brought up um, the economy. Um, I realized the same thing too. I think the education system and how a society, how Singapore as a society valued education actually has a lot to do with uh, the rapid economic growth in the 70s and 80s as well, like during independence year. Like right after independence, um, basically the founding government at the time was very worried about the country's survival. And, you know, to ensure that the country succeed, um, there is a strong emphasis and realization that you need to have a very knowledge-based economy and uh, manpower. And that's why, like, right from the get-go, like, education was, like, top priority because you need to produce that kind of talent. And also kind of explains why that that skew towards STEM field because at that time, like, you want people in engineering and, like, you know... Specialized fields. Yeah, very specialized kind of field Mm -hmm. so that you can produce this knowledge-based... Uh, workforce that can like power the economy basically wow mm. I think US yeah, might be different from yeah that's US is our cases yeah. really complicated <laughs> yeah. US is its own special little flower I feel like but I'm so <laughs> curious I want to hear more yeah. yeah so yeah I can speak a little to the US side of things so I think yeah like you guys said public education and I guess private education in the US also is really complicated because as you guys know the US consists of states like 50 states and not only that, each of them has their own, they, they, they all have their own way of approaching education and their own regulations and their own policies. And they have quite a bit of autonomy from the federal government. So they might look different from state to state. But then even within a state, the school districts can look really different, right? So uh, one school district can be really, really popular, or very, um, uh, very well resourced or um, very well, high achieving versus like the next you know, school district over might not look the same. And even schools within the same school district, right, can also look so different. And so, I mean, maybe that's the same in, in Singapore in, in, um, and in Korea as well. But I feel like mm-hmm. the quality of education and the resources of education of the schools, like, really look different. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, 
look different based on what school you're at, what neighborhood you're at. Um, mm. And that really is a robust correlation between socioeconomic status oh my gosh. and the families and school quality, right? So the neighborhoods that have more resources right. are probably going to have the better teachers and, you know, mm. less, less violence and crime. And, you know, it's kind of unfortunate, but um, it, those trends do kind of follow your socioeconomic status. And as you know, mm. the U.S. is so varied in terms of, um, you know, the different backgrounds of the students. And we have right. such a heterogeneous population of students. So it's really hard to say, oh, this is how the U.S. education looks like, because it really depends on where you are and what school you are. And it's really um, interesting that whereas in some schools, like I think in Korea and Singapore, you're really valued and you are, you know, you know, um, looked upon really well if you're a smart mm-hmm. student, right? And you're, you're mm-hmm. a go-getter and you are... Mm-hmm. You know, high achieving, like, wow, your son or daughter is, you must be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> they're so smart, or they're definitely going to go to a good school. You must be so proud. But, you know, and that's the case in some schools, right? Like, it's really, it's really um, admirable to, to be a, a smart or a go getter. But in other communities, mm-hmm. it actually makes you an outcast. Like, oh you're going to be you're smart. Like, why are you trying so hard? Like, right, you shouldn't right. be, you know, you shouldn't be trying. Like high school. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it depends also on the culture of the school um, that that can vary as well. So overall, but overall, I think compared to Korea and Singapore, like what you guys have been saying, I do think education in the U.S. is, I want to say like more quote unquote free (laughs) (laughs) in the fact that you don't have to always go to the top tier education to be set for life. Right. And in fact, Mm -hmm. some of the successful business people in the U S are really famous for still making it even after dropping out of school. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Just because it doesn't guarantee you that just because you come from a good school that you'll, you'll be successful, but it also doesn't guarantee that if you Mm -hmm. don't go to a good school, you won't be successful. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think in that sense, it is really appealing to other countries like, like Asian countries that might mm-hmm. have more of a like regimented and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, strict right. formula of go to good school equals you're set for life, right? That you have an opportunity to maybe make it again or, or try again um, in the U S education mm-hmm. system. Cause it's a little more. So I, have, in sense. I have two mm-hmm. questions for you, Liz. Yeah, of course. So I think you're uniquely situated to answer this question because like, you know, you actually spent some of your formative years, uh, attending school in Korea too. So mm-hmm. I think you had a bit of like a taste of both sides, like Korea and the US. What do you think of the two of it? What do you like the best? You know, what's your best? Mm-hmm. What are your takeaways from like the two education system? And so, and then that's question number one. And question number two is that what do you think is the secret recipe for those people who dropped out of school in the US but still became successful? <laughs> So when I was in Korea, I didn't actually go to a Korean school, like public school. I went to an international school. So Mm. I was a little bit, I guess, you know, separate from that system. But my mom was a principal of a Ah. public school. Um, And so I saw from her kind of vicariously what what education looks like. And honestly, wow, I really admired. I don't think I could have, even if I like my Korean was like really, really, really good. And I was really, really smart. And I could actually attend her school because it was Mm -hmm. a pretty high, high achieving school. I don't know if I would have survived because they studied from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Because it's like a foreign language specialty school. So they were really intense. And so I really admire the work ethic of Korean, like, public school system. Like, they really put in a lot of effort. And they sometimes speak even better English than American people. (laughs) 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 They practice so much and all of that. So I really do 
think that um, Koreans are really, the Korean education system um, is really great at um, making you really a diligent person or like bringing in that discipline and there's so much respect for teachers as well so you don't you rarely get the same issues you have with like students being rude or being even Mm. violent against teachers as you see in the U.S. sometimes and so I think those two things are really admirable but in the U.S. one of the things that I think um, is cool is that there's a lot more like I said flexibility and creativity that's um, uh, what do you call it Uh, encouraged so you have a lot of different extracurricular activities, even though some people just do it just to build their, you know, college resume. Like there are a lot of opportunities to get involved in sports, even if you're not in a sports school or arts, even if you're not in an art school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of pro- like um, project-based learning that people are doing more and more. So it's mm-hmm. not just like test-taking drills and um, things like that. So I think there's good in both, um, I guess, in you know, if there's a, <laughs> if there's a hybrid of both, I would, I guess, be ideal in the future. <laughs> but then the second question, what was your second question again? Oh, second question is, what, what do you think is the secret behind uh, people's success? Like, oh, when they the dropped drop out, out, but, you know, they still succeed. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I also think, like, that's, that's kind of, like, to the point I was just making, the last point I was making, I think mm-hmm. it does have to do with the creativity aspect. Like, they have their own idea. They know what they want, and they think they can do something. But the school system isn't set up to support them. They don't th- they don't see the value in taking more classes or you know spending more time with their professors when they have this idea and they want to just run with it, right? right. Um, like Bill Gates, he's really famous for dropping out too, but he had an idea for for um, you know his computers and it wasn't worth his time to just go to school because he knew that just by taking more classes or getting this course credit wasn't the traditional route for him and it wasn't going to get him when he had already a specific vision and a specific plan, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's just that the education system sometimes isn't set up well to support entrepreneurs in particular. <laughs> like people, individuals with like a strong sense of, you know, mm-hmm. their own track, individuality maybe. And exactly what they want. or Because a lot of the times, like especially university is a time where you explore that. Like, oh, I wonder... You know, if I take these classes, maybe I'll get more interested in this field or, you know, it's very, I think it's pretty rare that people come into college thinking like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. These are all the courses I'm going to take. This is how my life is going to be. Right. This is the guy, guy, man. They have to and if they do come in with that, it often changes. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's just my take on it. <laughs> cool, cool. Interesting. Thanks Great. for sharing. So, you know, sorry, I t- took up mm-hmm. a lot of the time, but as you guys know, my, my background is in education. So it's something that this is a topic that <laughs> is on my mind a lot. Um, but especially right now, given the COVID-19 situation, there's a lot of debate on, well, now it's there's, things are settled, but whether school should be open, you know, whether it be converted to 100% online or use a hybrid model. Um, and many obviously have cited the need for human interaction for quality learning, that online learning is just simply not enough. And the inequities of digital availability and home lives will worsen the gap among wealthy and poor students. Um, these are some reasons people say we should definitely open up and others cite obviously the overall health risks of opening schools for both students as teachers as a reason for keeping schools closed. So if you know, what is um, what is your country or your state, wherever you are proposing in terms of you know, how schools should open or up or not? And what do you think is the way forward? Do you agree with them? Do you think this is too hasty or, or you know, you think there's a different way for opening schools during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he um, wants to yeah. take this first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, in like in Korea, 
like a semester usually starts on March, uh, not like uh, US. And as far as I remember, the COVID-19 became the pandemic since February. So all schools had to postpone their opening dates. And mm -hmm. the original plan was about like two weeks and then it became four weeks and months and mm -hmm. it like ended up with almost 100% online. But um, yeah, and now it seems that um, the, the situation was under control and the numbers were actually getting better. But about a month mm -hmm. ago, several uh, mass infections in some regions were yeah, uh, reported. Yeah, in Korea and it got worse again. Uh -huh. Yeah, so I'm doing my self-quarantine as well. So <laughs> yeah, because I'm with my baby and I have to be more like, more careful. careful yeah yeah oh no you're locked down again for us <laughs> <laughs> so yeah in this circumstance i don't think schools will get back to normal mm. and like most schools will have uh, no option but to choose online classes this coming semester as well but mm. i heard that because schools were not ready for this pandemic as Liz mentioned they're lacking facilities and equipment and they had to create new grading systems and so on so mm. it seems that making it 100% online is definitely not welcome by both teachers and students at this time. Mm. Yeah. Wait, I heard also, I don't know if this is different now, but I, I thought some schools in Korea were doing like, uh, like a rotating schedule. So like half the students come in on certain days and half the students come on different days. Are they like yeah. not doing that at all anymore? Yeah, but not, I mean, I, I heard that some schools implemented that schedule, but not all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think that's one way to like tackle this pandemic. Yeah, mm. yeah. I wonder how those schools are doing if they have really had spikes in infections or if that's working. But uh, I think yeah. it's uh, going pretty well, and because um, like uh, everyone, I mean, every students and teachers had basically wear masks during classes so there's no I mean I, I didn't hear any like, reports or news that infections happen like in schools. So I think it's a good thing. That's no, that's promising. Mm -hmm. Even if you can get like a little bit of face time, I feel like it's better than none. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Even though, obviously. Oh my yeah. God. But, mm. but we have to be like careful. Yeah, to sure. This situation. Oh my god, it's so scary. Is it similar like that in um in in Singapore, Stephanie? Um, I feel like Singapore it was less impacted in a sense like mm. um so i mean obviously the covid situation in asia is very different from like the us things are a lot more under control like even when mm. what he myung said when there is when you really said there's like a, another surge in more recent weeks that number is just like maybe like a few hundred it's not like here <laughs> in the us but we see like tens of thousands in a day and we still don't call it a surge so <laughs> The situation is very different, and um, for Singapore-wise, there's been like very stringent uh, measures and controls. Like the the country basically shut down the its borders. There's no short-term visitations. We don't allow tourists into the country. Um, so we basically control like all the imported cases. Um, and then there's like widespread testing and like contact tracing and things like that. So. Apart from like a very brief lockdown that we had, I think in April, where 
there was an outbreak in um, the migrant worker communities. Um, mm-hmm. So that caused like a spike in numbers. And to contain all of that, everybody locked down for a brief period. But apart from that brief period of lockdown, um, everything kind of went to normal. Obviously, there's like social distancing and all of those like measures, um, temperature taking and all that. But apart from that, businesses are back to running um, as usual and schools are also running actually. So like normal? Um, yeah. Like, you like go everyone's back to- in school, like in their classrooms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think wow. so. I need, to, I need to fact check this, actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but from what I last hear, um, mm-hmm. things are back running. Even preschools are open. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But instead, like, you know, every kid before you come in, there's like temperature check and like, mm-hmm. this, like you know, wash your hands and like proper like sanitation measures. Like things are constantly wiped down and like cleaned up and things like that. So like, mm-hmm. it's pretty much... Uh, you know, you can do the things that you do pre-COVID. But, you know, of course, we've just like all these edit measures. Like, yeah. And and even like movie theaters are open. (laughs) Everything is open. Oh, wow. I know. That's impressive. No, no. I mean, it's kind of a little bit scary at the same time. Since I live here, right? I live here in New York where it was once upon a time, the epicenter. Uh, Mm -hmm. But like as an outsider looking in, I'm just like, freaking out a little. I'm like, whoa, are you serious? <laughs> but it seems like you guys have it under control. So that's, yeah, that's really impressive. But I think yeah. it's, uh, yeah, the, the, the measure is very different. So for like, in terms of like online, I think people were only doing it for like a short period of time. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And in the US, I think like the theme of the day, it's, it's it varies. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I think, like you, like you said, like kind of like Singapore, some states are opening schools in person and some districts within states are making different plans. Like mm-hmm. I think in Georgia, for example, there are suburban school districts that have opened like fully, but then others in Atlanta, they're closed. So even within a state, there could be, you know, different, um, different decisions based on, you know, the district or the school. Um, but I think overall, most states are operating virtually through the fall. Um, and those schools that actually have opened in person or universities that have opened in person, I think even in Towson, I need to fact check myself this too, but in Maryland, yeah. uh, a, a university opened up in-person classes and there were like infection rates that went up. Oh and my so, God. Um, really? closed down and they're taking more of a conservative approach. So I, I don't know. I think I initially was like, yeah, we should all open up because like kids are suffering at home and parents are suffering at home with their kids. <laughs> <laughs> but personally, I, I guess I do think it's in the, probably in the best interest of staff and students' health, at least in the U.S., to continue remote learning until things are like definitely more safe. But I really also like worry about the long-term impacts of this kind of learning. Stephanie, you said that, you know, Singapore only went through a brief period of like online learning and Korea sounds like it was a lot longer, but yeah, in the U S US too, it's from like March of like this year, right. Until right. probably the end of this year, maybe even next year. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, school is just more than just where you learn facts. It's, it's a place where you learn intellectually, you make, mm-hmm. you know, socially, emotionally. And sometimes right, it's right. the only place where you feel you have the health and um, physical and like uh, mental health and safety as well for a lot of students in the U.S. because, you know, a lot of domestic violence at home and whatnot. Oh, boy. Um, and so, I don't know, I feel like the absence of those in-school supports for that long is going to be really detrimental. You know, it'll have like long-term impacts, I feel like. So, okay. I mean, there's a whole other conversation on that, but um, I don't want to derail the conversation, but I definitely... 
want to see where this goes. And, you know, especially in the next few years, if, if you know, we'll be still be seeing the repercussions wow. of that. That's I don't so know what you guys true. Think. That's so <laughs> true. I never thought of those aspects. Like, wow. We're basically depriving, uh, like, a generation of kids of like the emotional and social support that yeah. a school provides and you know they get from like each other from their peers in school and things like that wow yeah. that's a heavy topic they get, like, <laughs> they get their food from their school they get right. like boxes and mental oh, health support from their schools cool. you know not only not only just like friends and fun but like they actually sometimes need the school to just right. survive you know so oh, I, yeah, I hope schools are districts I'm sure school districts are you know preparing for that but it's it's really hard to do online <laughs> oh boy yeah but i mean at the same time like there's like infection rates and like risk as well like community yeah. spread. And there's been studies that's that's shown that kids are just like equally uh culpable to like contracting mm-hmm. the virus mm-hmm. and bringing it back home and spreading it to their family members yeah yeah even if they don't, if they don't die, right? Like they yeah, they don't die. They they just can be like asymptomatic carriers mm-hmm. that was spread it to like everybody in the community in the neighborhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. So we've talked about your past educational experiences, the present with the pandemic. So now let's talk about the future. We all know that this world is rapidly changing because of technology, right? I remember growing up when we had dial-up internet. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dial-up. Like giving too much information away about how... Oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, and now look at it, right? I can buy something on Amazon faster than I can pour a glass of wine, right? Oh, and I, remember, I remember you told me a, like a, a long time ago where you like sleep ordered something on Amazon. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> a table arrived. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, right. So technology has clearly changed the job market as well, right? As we see a lot of blue collar jobs are becoming automated and obsolete. Mm-hmm. So here's the question for you: Imagine it's the year 2050. So 30 years from now. How has education changed, if at all? Are we going to be like the Jetsons and have every everything be virtual? Will in-school teachers be thing of the past? Will coding be required? You know, are we going to, or are we going to teach more like meditative practices and focus more on like self-actualization and mental mental health, right? Like what are the possibilities? And in particular with Kimyong, since you have a newborn, right? <laughs> <laughs> You, what do you think she will go through in school? What do you think her, you know, schooling will be like in the future? Oh, I actually never, like, had <laughs> time to think about, like, years. <laughs> Can I imagine my baby, like, become very, like, <laughs> yeah. but, like, I can't imagine now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I personally don't think that, um, Offline schools will be 100% replaced by online because mm-hmm. um, schools have, I mean, their own like missions and schools serve as a place mm-hmm. for various purposes. Right. Like, the main purpose is, of course, to gain academic knowledge. And like, if it was the only purpose, it could be 100% replaced, but it mm-hmm. is not the only, pr- only purpose. Mm. Uh, like the schools are like for example for learning social skills interacting with peers mm. making like a few friends that can last for your lifetime something like that mm. yeah and that's what you can learn when you are like being with them and mm. that's something like online learning cannot like cover even mm. with the superior like VR technology and all that can 
um, somehow substitute the current like offline learning system. Mm-hmm. But I also admit that online learning will um, eventually prevail in the future. And um, if that's possible, I think um, students will have more options to choose what what they really want to learn. Like for mm-hmm. example, when I was a when I was a high school student, we had to choose a foreign language class other than English, and I really mm-hmm. wanted to learn French at that time. Well, mm-hmm. my school provided only two choices, which were Japanese and Chinese, because there were only Japanese <laughs> Chinese teachers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like but if like online learning is going to be like new normal after the pandemic, like like even thirty years from now. Like students will get to choose whatever they really want to learn, and it, it will mm-hmm. help improve their like motives and productivity to learn. And yeah. like all the schools will be leveling upward, which I think is like um, eventually good for the whole education system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hima, I actually really um, like what you said about like I think that what I picked up from what you were saying in particular that resonated with me is the option, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the like the online classes give you more options. And I think it can be a really good tool for deepening learning for those who want it, right? Think about how easy it is for us even to learn a new skill or language just through like YouTube or Khan Academy or Coursera. Mm -hmm. But I think like you guys, like you, like you said, I think it's really unlikely that online learning will be the only option, right? It will be a option and maybe a good option, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe in a a good option to supplement in-person learning. Um, like, and like you said, school is more than just a place you learn facts or skills, right? Because we, that's a place where we develop socially, emotionally, physically, you develop right. your personality. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you learn about ethics. Um, you know, in Korea, education focuses on jidokche, right? Which is intellectual, <laughs> virtue, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and physical. Yeah, so it's not just about what you had knowledge. It's about you building your character in some cases and your, even your physical. So I think, like you said, um, it's going to be really hard to develop these multifaceted areas um, in students' lives solely through virtual means. Um, But in the future, as AI develops, what I do think, and I hope we're going to be moving more towards, is that we're going to rely less and less on standardized tests. (laughs) In the U.S. too, right? (laughs) Yeah, that focus on recalling facts and skills. Start valuing more human aspects like creativity, emotional intelligence, social skills. Um, as a marker of really a good or successful student. Because, you know, we're going to have a lot of machines and a lot of, you know, things that can be automated or done by a computer, then the things that can't be done by a computer probably will be more more valued, right? So hey, I people to yeah. build these computers and understand mm-hmm. the technology mm-hmm. behind a computer improve them. So yeah, <laughs> you still need those that. are going to be... Yeah, you I wonder if those cultivation are gonna of nerds. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if those jobs are going to be more blue collar or more like working class in the future. It's like the ones wow. who are mechanical, the engineers, will they become more working class? Because that's kind of like a given, like maintenance. Okay. Oh. Or, and then like the people who are like executives are the ones who are the more creatives. And, you know, right. like, I don't know. That's, I wonder where that'll go. But I wonder if that kind of shift will happen with more and more automation being like kind of a given, you know? I don't know, like I was picturing this myself too. And like, you know, <laughs> given how rapid uh, technology is developing and like, you know, in, this is t- 2050 is just 30 years time from now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, it's fully possible that someone might, you know, have some like breakthrough frontier VR technology to take things to a whole new level. Like right mm-hmm. now, it's actually just like what you can see is very limited, right? Yeah. Of what you can transport over 
But I think like maybe in 30 years, there might be some breakthrough where you can, you know, have like the whole five senses kind of like mm. sensory experience, like smell, tactile, sensation, everything can be like transmitted, like virtually, we, we will never know. Mm. Um, so um, yeah, I think like, you know, with a new frontier in maybe like VR technology, then it would actually mean that we are not limited by like a physical space mm. anymore. Like I, I understand what we all shared just now that, you know, in-person education can never be replaced. Um, but at the same time, like technology can catch up to a point where like online learning can feel very in-person. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be the case, right? And I think that that could be a bonus. Like for some places, like a remote village, um, there's a lack of access to like good teachers in schools. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe if such technology, you know, through like philanthropic uh, means or whatever is made available to these people and places, this can actually be a very big leveling um, force in like narrowing this uh, social inequality uh, and income gap for a lot of places. Um, And, you know, like even school districts in the U.S., right? You said that there's like big differences. So yeah, online, like how online learning now can open up different opportunities and ways for you to like learn things that are not like, in your school or in the standardized curriculum of the education system um, you know same thing here like maybe in the future like you know VR can also unlock that like access to like very good teachers or resources that previously are not available to certain people oh my gosh, um, it sounds I, like a movie I know very utopian right here now right because I, I mean in the ideal world that that access to good resources and teachers is really what mm-hmm. I think can help solve a lot of like poverty issues and mm-hmm. like social inequality and like, even violence, right? Because like, you know, yeah. with poverty, all these are like correlated. Um, yeah. So I think it, it it could be a very good thing too with like increased like automation or like VR. Like technology doesn't necessarily have to be like a uh, a bad thing or like something mm-hmm. evil that you know is like competing with like an in-person teacher kind of thing yeah absolutely. it could be like side by side right and um so uh, but you know and, and also i wanted to like also bring up that like right now actually like we're already seeing like some of that future piece <laughs> that we're talking about like in terms of education like i mean right now in at least in singapore i I have heard that, you know, coding is already being introduced, right? And coding is basically going to be the ABC in the future. So we have like, you know, preschoolers who actually learn the basics and foundations of like codes. Um, Elementary school, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, I have heard some like, you know, the elite kind of preschools, right? And then like elementary schools, for sure. Like in elementary schools, like you have computer classes. Back then, we would learn how to use Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, and (laughs) (laughs) and things like that. Mm -hmm. That is just so backward, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. now like kids are like, they're learning HTML and CSS and like all the foundational coding languages. So that when they advanced later on they can go into like python or whatever you know very easily (laughs) yeah and i think like you know they start really young like the logic of like javascript like you know having that logical thinking that will help you to code in javascript is very important um so like you know that foundation is set very early on now so you know i mean of course like there will be new languages that will be developed uh for sure programming languages and you know and i think that 
as like, you know, we so we're already seeing that piece right now. It's not like it's it's too like futuristic at all. Like mm-hmm. I think that we are already moving towards that direction of like everybody, like what Liz just said, like maybe that will be the new blue type of blue collar job because like that's the basic, the given. Mm-hmm. Everybody would know how to do the accounting and do the account maintenance work and things like that. Wow. Um, but yeah, I, I mean... I hope that as we, you know, get more and more advanced in our technology and skills, like we also like, you know, I, this is the part where I don't quite see it yet um, right now. And I worry how it's going to be covered going forward. Like, you know, how are we as a society going to grow in our emotional department, uh, Mm -hmm. have that level of mental awareness and like, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's so many cases, like there's more and more people who are depressed right now. Right. And I feel like this because we are not taught how to cope with or recognize signs of depression or like recognize our emotional struggles and how we can cope with that. So I think we are lacking in that aspect. And um, I feel like in this department, there's a lot of like catching up to do. And I don't know how 30 years later it's going to be. Are we just all going to be like very technologically advanced, but like emotionally very like, I don't know, burned out and yeah deficient basically right emotionally deficient (laughs) and then there's i mean there's spiritual aspects too and like you know all that like character building as well yeah so i think that that's something i heard from all three of us is the concern that or at least the uh, hope that those other aspects not just the academic right or the like the technological will advance Mm -hmm. but as humans that we we advance right our human (laughs) of creativity, of, um, you know, of emotional intelligence, all of that. And yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge to compete with like that. We don't, we make sure that productivity isn't just mm-hmm. the end goal, right? That's not right. the end of life is pro- being productive and being, adv- you know, advancing in technology, but we have other, other aspects of our human life to celebrate and <laughs> to embrace. <laughs> yeah. I sound so hippie now, but <laughs> <laughs> any last thoughts before we wrap up? No, I think this has been a really um, informative uh, session, and I and I really like the chance to like discuss like the differences. Um, since you know we, I mean, I never had a chance to grow up in Korea, right, or <laughs> through the education system. So it's just really interesting to hear the kind of like similarities or like differences and what we're doing right now and like you know moving forward. Um, yeah. Yeah, I also enjoyed imagining and looking back what our education was and our parents' education was like and our future education will be and how my daughter will uh, mm-hmm. cope with the new system and so on. Oh, question for you, Himyoung. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as a new mommy now, like, you know, <laughs> what is the one, like maybe one or three things that you hope for your daughter to learn growing up? What is the most important thing for her to learn? As I mentioned about my um, MBTI last time, I <laughs> want her to be a caregiver. Oh, and okay. No matter like what difficulties and what situation she will be in, I hope she can um, think about others, and, like, put on others' shoes and, and uh, share some of the knowledge or like wisdom mm. and care for others. Wow. <laughs> That's one what thing a, I hope. What a care, caring uh, mommy and like care. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, yeah, I wish she goes to Harvard. <laughs> you know, I was like, eh, but nobody knows. I mean, I can be a <laughs> mom and when she grows up and I can be like 
I can push her to you, are you ready? hard. Like, <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> <and> then, <laughs> now I, I am quite confident that I will be different from Tiger Mom, but nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> when she brings home her first bee, you're like, oh my gosh, time to become Tiger Mom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> transform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed our conversation today as well thanks for giving me so many insights from the different countries and experiences you have and we really hope you enjoyed this episode as well um make sure you check out some of our other episodes and look forward to more to come and if you have any comments or questions for us or ideas for next episodes um you can reach us at three cities rambling at gmail.com that's the number three cities rambling at gmail.com so we'd love to hear from you and if not have a good weekend thank you and be safe bye bye bye